0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee The Historic Church of Robert Murray McShane For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk Please uh, turn with me if you have your Bibles there to Luke chapter 18 Luke chapter 18 And we're reading verse 1 through to verse 8 18. Luke 18, 1-8, the parable of the persistent widow. <clears throat> then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we are so weak. We are so fragile, vulnerable, and so easily tempted to the things of the broad way rather than walking diligently according to the narrow way. And yet you are mighty, and you are strong, and you are gracious and kind and patient towards us. For this we thank you. We confess and we acknowledge our great need of your help in our lives. We need you to strengthen us, to hold us, to carry us, to keep us and to guide us. And so come to us now we pray. By your Holy Spirit, speak into each and every life present here this morning. That we might be changed and that we might live to the glory of God of your son's precious name Amen well apologies for those of you who have absolutely no interest whatsoever in football in advance but uh, those of you who do have some kind of interest in football maybe you can uh, remember the dramatic night when Liverpool won the European Cup in Istanbul by beating AC Milan, I think it was back in 2005, it wasn't nearly as satisfying and as pleasurable as watching Chelsea win the European Cup last season, it has to be said, but anyway for those um, who don't know what I'm talking about, what happened was um, in the first half AC Milan completely outclassed Liverpool so that by half time they were 3-0 in front. And I think it's fair to say that most people, including a good chunk of their Liverpool supporters who left the ground at half-time in their droves, most people thought it was all over. There was no hope, there was no way back from such a heavy margin of defeat against especially such a good team as AC Milan in the European Cup final. But out came the teams for the second half. And in an amazing period of just six minutes of football, Liverpool somehow managed to score three goals. The game eventually went to extra time and then went to penalties. And after something like two hours of football, (coughs) Liverpool somehow managed to win the European Cup for the fourth time. And I mentioned that this morning because I think even if you are an Everton supporter... It is a great example of the triumph, of the victory, the celebration that awaits a people when they are persevering, when they are patient, and when they are totally unwilling to give up hope. And that is precisely what the Lord Jesus is speaking to us about in this parable that we're looking at together this morning. In verse 1 Matthew says. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. To show them that they should always pray. And not give up. In other words he's simply saying. All the way through this parable. As my people. As pilgrims who are on their way. Not to football and glory. But to the kingdom of glory. He's saying one of the fundamental prerequisites for this kind of success if I can put it in those terms will be the need to stick at it to be patient to be persistent to be persevering and to never stop believing the question is how will we do this how will we do this In the context, how will we be this people who are persevering in the context of a world that, let's face it, is so often difficult. It is a toil. It is a struggle. It is a fallen world. And it is a world which ultimately runs contrary and against everything that we are essentially trying to persevere in as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well Jesus gives us several very important pointers here in this parable and I'm going to focus in on three things this morning because that does tend to be the magic number. First, he gives us the perspective that we need in order to persevere. In other words, the mindset, the the way in which we need to think in order to persevere. Second, the attitude of perseverance and third, He shows us the activity that marks out those who do and who will persevere. And so first of all, the perspective that we need to have. Perseverance means keeping in mind and living in the light of the perfect justice of the true judge. Being a persevering person in Christ means keeping in mind, living in the light of the perfect justice of the true judge. We're told from verse 2 that Jesus said, In a certain town there was a judge nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he, that is the judge, refused. Now we need to remember here that in the Old Testament, God made some very special provisions for people like widows and orphans. We can see that in places like Deuteronomy 24. You could read that later on. And he did that in order to protect those people in the context of what would have been an often ruthless and power-biased society, providing instruction concerning the 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 care and the Concern for and the protection of those people was really God's way of saying, because these folk are weak and are vulnerable on account of the fact that they have no adult male to protect them, to represent them, to provide for them in this patriarchal society, therefore I am going to be as a father to them, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, as it says in Psalm 68. Now the disciples listening to Jesus telling this parable, they would have been well aware of all of that and they would have been very clear that any upright and any honest judge would have been ready to hear the case of the poor and the needy just as he was ready to hear the case of the more affluent person of high status in society. And so when Jesus described here in their hearing a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men who refuses this poor widow's plea over a period of time they would have been absolutely clear in their minds that what Jesus was describing here was an extremely wicked, unkind and uncaring man. And yet... The shock factor in this story is not just in the fact that this judge is cruel and uncaring towards this poor, weak and vulnerable widow, but instead the big point, the point that would have surely made the eyes of these disciples widen as they were listening, was the fact that in the end the same man that Jesus has just described actually relented and he gave justice to the widow. In verses 4 and 5, he says, But finally he, that is the judge, said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. And then in 6, Jesus says, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, if this is how an unscrupulous, unjust judge, someone with absolutely no regard for God, or care for the weak and for the vulnerable and the downtrodden, if this is how that kind of man responds to someone seeking justice, albeit after some pleading, how much more will God our Father who is just and who is caring, hear the cries of his people. Jesus said, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so the first thing we're being taught here is that perseverance as Christ's people means living in the light of the fact that God, the judge of judges, is our Father in heaven. And because he is our Father in heaven, one who is just one who does care for the weak, the vulnerable and the fragile, which every single person in here this morning is. Therefore, we must remember that this God, this Father in heaven, will not begrudge us all that we need in this life in order to do His will, in order to live for His purposes that He has assigned for us. And secondly, he will not withhold from us the life which his perfect justice has already satisfied in the death of his only begotten son. And he's saying, as people who persevere, we must not these things. We must remember who God is, And what he has done, he has signed, sealed and secured our inheritance. And he will not withhold the fruit of that justice that was satisfied by the death of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, from those who love him. We must retain this perspective. We must think on these things every morning of our lives throughout the day when we put our heads on the pillow at night that God is God and God is good and God is just and he has, he has bought us by the death of his son. Second, perseverance means having An attitude of patience, patience in the face of affliction. Now clearly this is a woman who was very active in actually petitioning the judge in the story and we'll come on to that a wee bit later. But in order to do that she would have surely needed a great deal of patience, an undiminishing sense of hope, a refusal to give up believing that justice would come in the end. We don't know how long she had to wait. Jesus doesn't give us that detail, nor do we know the precise nature of the injustice that she was suffering under. But it's very clear that this is a woman who is having to endure. She's having to live with a situation which was not only grossly unfair, but also no doubt extremely unpleasant. And dear friends, Is that not the story of our lives? Have we not had to suffer? Have we not had to endure? Have we not had to face things which are unfair, which are a real trial in our lives? And yet, what is she doing in the midst of that? Does she throw the towel in? Does she say, what is the point here? There's no way that someone so pathetic and weak and marginalized and downtrodden as me is ever going to get a breakthrough here. Not in a context where I'm up against this judge who's not only greatly powerful and influential, but he's also totally wicked. A man who has not even common decency or a common understanding of what common decency actually is. She doesn't say that. And the reason is her ongoing pleading to this judge is actually just the outward expression of a far deeper reality, which is that as long as a person is focused on and is trusting in that which is right and good and true and proper, or for you and I, as long as we are trusting in the one who is right and good and proper, and that a day of vindication is still before us, then whatever suffering and injustice we do have to face and we do have to endure in this life, we will still have that solid ground on which we can walk forward with patience and with perseverance. And you know, one of the best examples, I think, of all that we're looking at this morning, comes in the book of Job, the story of Job. Do you remember what happened? Here was a man, Job, who clearly feared God and yet God, in his perfect wisdom, he allows unimaginable suffering to come into his life. Clearly, there were things that Job got wrong. He was ultimately rebuked by God. But generally speaking, what was it that enabled this fallen, fragile human being like you and I to continue faithfully for so long to patiently bear up despite all of the heartache and the pain and the suffering and the trial and even the provocations of his three so-called friends I think the simple answer comes to us in Job 19 and 25 where he said these profound words I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed yet in my flesh I will see God I myself will see Him with my own eyes I and not another how my heart yearns within me Whatever heartache and whatever trial and whatever suffering you might be facing this morning, no matter how painful and unrelenting that might seem to be, if your hope and your trust is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ alone, then there is a day of deliverance. There is a day of vindication that is coming to you. It might take a month. It might take a year. You might even have to wait until your life in this world is over. But there is a day of perfect justice that is coming. Because the Lord Jesus Christ will stand upon this earth. Every single one of us will see God, the good God who saved us. We will see him with our own eyes. And he will make all things new for those who love him in Christ. What I think is very poignant here, kind of the flip side of all of this, is that we need to remember too that whilst we wait for that great day, that great day of ultimate and eternal vindication... Of true, pure justice. We need to remember that whilst we endure and we live in the context of this world and all of its trials. We must remember that God is using this time of waiting in order to create these very characteristics into the fabric of our own lives. Romans 5. But we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God is not nearly as concerned about giving us what we want As he is about making us into who he wants us to be. That is always his first priority for all who are his children in Christ. And it's understanding that wider context of his purposes. That we will continue with patience and with endurance and with steadfastness in the face of affliction. Okay, let's just do a wee recap here. We said, first of all, that perseverance means having the right perspective, the right mindset, one where we remember always, the forefront of our minds, the justness of the true judge. Second, the attitude of perseverance is one of patience and steadfastness in the face of adversity. And third, the activity of perseverance. The activity is a life that is persistent in prayer. Persistent in prayer. Again in verse 1 it says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He then goes on to tell the parable itself. But notice the only thing we're told about this is that verse 3, she kept coming to him with a plea. And then in verse 7 he says, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The ESV says, Will he delay long over them? And then in 8, I tell you, he will see that they get justice quickly. Now we need to be careful that we don't set up false expectations here. First of all, when he says quickly, we're speaking here, he is speaking here in the context of God's timing, not our timing. If you think about it, the average lifespan, whatever it might be, 90 years, I don't know, is so relatively short in comparison to God's eternity. And therefore what is being said that even if we wait for that day, which is of course the ultimate day of justice and vindication and deliverance from all that is evil, it is a minuscule, it is a tiny fraction of time in comparison to the vastness of eternity. Think about it, 80 years, 90 years in comparison to 10 billion years and more and more and so on. And secondly, he's not saying here that whenever we face trials and injustices, we only need to cry out to God and the next day we can expect a swift delivery from whatever that thing might be. That would be to go against everything we've just been thinking about in terms of patience. And if he wanted to say that, he would have told a very different parable, one where this poor widow came to the judge just once and was given instant vindication or instant justice. What he's saying here... Is that the type of people who are vindicated, who are in the end given justice, are those who demonstrate their desire for God by simply continuing with Him and by persisting in prayer to Him day and night. Why? Because it is through this simple activity That we show ourselves to be the genuine people of the faith. People who will not give up. Irrespective of the circumstances of our lives. We will not give up. We will continue on. Because we belong to this God. And we show our belonging to this God by continually depending on him. And showing that dependence in prayer day and night. And that is why... He finishes in verse 8 by saying, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Clearly he's not saying here that there's a possibility that there won't be a single professing Christian on earth when he returns. What he's doing is by asking the question, he's in a sense trying to encourage us, spur us on. He's emphasizing to us, this is what true faith looks like. This is the kind of faith that will be rewarded of His return. It is a faith that stands firm, that continues on, that digs deep in the hour of trial, that continually cries out to Him because we know and we are showing by doing that that all of our hope is not in this world, but it is in who He is and what he has done isn't it true that we we live in such a instantaneous world today it is a world where the 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 natural pattern of things is quick answers getting what you want quickly it's a world of instant messaging texting blogging twitter facebook Please don't misunderstand me, I don't want to sound like a kind of burnt out old poop. But the danger is that often some of these kind of relatively trivial things, they have the capacity to chip away at our resolve, at our ability to persist and to persevere with God, to wait patiently, to be a steadfast people who are waiting for the greatest thing which is not instantaneous, namely life in this kingdom. And let's be honest, the place where all of this shows up in our own lives, the place where the true orientation of our lives comes to the fore is in our prayer life. John Piper said, One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. And I suppose we could say the same thing about television and radio and all the different things that clutter our lives. And so maybe one of the big applications of this for us this morning, friends, and this is true of my life, this is true of all of our lives. We talk about a spring cleaning In our homes. Maybe we need to have a spiritual cleaning. A a spring cleaning or a winter cleaning. All the things that clutter up our lives. And that prevent us from seeing this essential part of our perseverance. And from doing this. This wonderful gift that God has given us to commune with him, to meet with him, to plead with him, to reorient our minds as we do that. So that we are fixed on the eternal things, the unseen things, not on the seen things that are temporary and fading away. Let me finish this morning with a quote from another man who clearly had in mind the vision of the Lord Jesus. The kind of perseverance and the persistence that he is calling us to hear in this parable. These are the words of Lloyd Jones, Martin Lloyd Jones, and he was he was speaking in relation to Luke eleven and nine, where Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Here's what Lloyd-Jones said. He said, true asking is in the knocking. In other words, asking doesn't mean a casual request. You suddenly feel like it and you make your request and then you forget all about it the next morning. This is neither true asking nor true seeking. In true asking... There is a kind of urgency. There is a refusal to be content with anything less than the answer. That is where this knocking comes in. You do not merely shout from a distance. You go on and you approach nearer and nearer. And at last you are, as it were, hammering at the door. Our danger, all of us, is to reduce the great blessings of the Christian faith to some almost automatic process, like a slot machine into which you put your coin in and draw out your chocolate drink. There it is. But that is simply not true in the Christian life. There is this element of real seeking, hunger and thirst. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let us pray together. (coughs) Father, we thank you for the gift and the privilege of being able to speak with you and to meet with you in prayer we thank you that when we come to you a holy and eternal God through Christ your beloved son we are as it were in the very throne room the place where all things are seen for what they are and for what they're not we are in the presence of the one who made us the one who sustains us, who allows us to even breathe. Oh, Father, we see our great need. We see our utter dependence upon you once more as we think of these things. Help us, our Father, we pray, to be a persevering people. Help us, we pray, to be people who are greatly encouraged Lord, as we remember all that you have secured for us, all that you have done for those who love you in Christ your Son, the precious blood that he shed on our behalf for the remission of our sins, dying in our place for our sins, that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we praise you for this great gift. Help us, we pray, to keep the gospel at the forefront of our minds and that this might spur us on, that this might grant us the spirit of patience in the face of adversity, in the face of all of the calamities of life, in the face of a world that does so often run counter to all that we believe in in Christ and all that we long for through him when we enter into glory. Father, we think particularly this morning of those who are in that place, here in church this morning, those who are in the valley, as it were, the valley of despair. We thank you, our Father, that it is often in these times that we learn life 's deepest lessons, not when we 're on the mountain top of life, and yet, Lord, how hard it is, and so we pray that you would bring healing that you would bring resilience, persistence, perseverance, and most of all, O Lord, that you would keep your people and that you would show yourselves, show yourself to each one in Christ your Son, that we might behold you, that we might hunger and thirst after you, and that we might continue with you. We ask all of this. In Jesus' most wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk for information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace cpcorg Once again, that website address is s-o-l-a-s-c-p-c.org. Thanks for listening.